You see them often, maybe every day, maybe far less often. They open your car doors at carpool. They wave hello as you drive in. They teach classes, they coach, advise, they lead, they write, they inspire. They keep the facilities humming, the bills paid, the food served hot and delicious, and so much more. But how much do we really know about each other? Everyone here at Shadyside Academy has a story, and in learning other stories, we can create a more connected and inclusive community. I'm Chad Green, Dean of Student and Residential Life at the Senior School. And I'm Lauren Lieberman, Director of College Counseling. Welcome to Beyond Hello, a podcast production bringing you stories from the people who shape our community. So Lauren, we just uh, just finished our conversation with our boss, I guess, slash former boss now that when, when people are going to be listening to this, Sophie Lau, head of the senior school at Shadyside. Great, uh, just a great, great conversation. Obviously, we're both you know, really sad to see her go in many ways, but it's also an exciting time to think about kind of where she's going and, and the work that she'll she will be doing at her new school. I guess what, I, as I think about our conversation and I think, think about our time with Sophie, we both have been able to work with her over the past four years, uh, which is we, we came to Shadyside at the same time. Um, you know, what, what about Sophie's legacy or, or your time in working with her? Um, what are the things that you've learned from her that are going, that you will really take and that you will, um, that will inform your work going forward? It's such a big question. And there are, there are, there are so many. And I hope that if we continue to do this podcast, we could maybe check back in over six months, over a year, over 18 months, because I'm sure that that a lot of these things um, will continue to surface and emerge when she's not here and I hear her voice in my head and, and, and think of her. I mean, frankly, Sophie's a big part of why I wanted to work at Shadyside and be in a place like this. And I would say some of the elements that make that up, you know, one of them is just a real relentless pursuit to do better, to grow, to move forward, and to never rest or settle. And um, that is that that's a part of me, and it's a part of her that I really admire and that she modeled really every day. I think another piece of that for me has been just watching her show up physically and mentally, and just she's so all in on everything that she does. And I think because of that, she's able to mobilize and and bring us along because she's not saying, do as I say, she's saying, do this and uh, modeling it as she goes. So kind of the the walking the walk and talking the talk is something that I, I really admired about her as a leader and will continue to try to take forward, though. Yeah. You know, trying to, when she, when she was not at school for a couple of weeks this year and trying to fill in some of the holes, I was like, wow, she's incredible. And I don't, I, I, I don't understand how she can fill all these things in the way that, that she does, but I'm going to try. What about you? 
Yeah, it's a hard question to answer. You know, um, I'm, I'm, at first I will just say like, I'm personally, obviously professionally, but also personally just really indebted to, to Sophie. Um, she is the reason that I ended up at Shadyside and my family ended up here. And, you know, I will um, be grateful forever um, for her, you know, helping to make that possible. And then to get the chance to get to work with her closely and, and observe her um, as she went about the work of being a, the head of school, you know, I think being a head of school in today today's environment is incredibly challenging on, on a number of fronts. And what, you know, I think you've spoken to her integrity. Um, you know, she, I think she really uh, is pretty, pretty remarkable in the sense that she is willing to have difficult conversations with folks. And I think she models that really well. She does it in a, she's very direct and transparent, but she's also does it in a very compassionate way. Um, and I think that piece of it um, can get overlooked. I also think there's some really interesting ways in which, you know, working with uh, a female leader uh, as a, as a man is interesting to observe because you, you know, there are all kinds of double standards around the way that leaders are supposed to look. And I think when you're a female in, um, in a world, you know, female leader in a world that is largely sort of predominated by this sort of um, masculine notions of what, what leadership means, I think it's, you know, that's an, an additional challenge that every woman faces. And so to, to watch her negotiate that territory um, and to do it really, really well has been pretty eye-opening to me and, and will inform my own, the, the way that I go about being a leader in my own right. So she's just been a really amazing role model. Like you said, I think her, her tenacity and kind of her drive and her willing, her, her desire to always do better is something that I'll take on. Um, or hopefully will, will inform my own work as well. And I don't, you know, I have to say something about her accident because I think you know, what she's faced in the last six months in terms of her own recovery and then to work, move into the environment that we were in with COVID and that we are in with COVID-19 and then all of the things that have happened in the last couple of weeks. I mean, it's just an incredible amount of stuff to, to work through. And, and she, she's done it with, frankly, um, you know, she's done it with, uh, with great, deafness and um, skill and you know I'm, I'm I couldn't be I guess more grateful to to be um, to have gone through all of this stuff uh, with her at the helm so <clears throat> yeah I agree. probably keep talking for for hours at this point I know I just hope she continues to take our calls for the rest of our lives <laughs> that's my greatest if I had to answer my my greatest hope for Sophie moving forward my hope is that for the rest of my life and the rest of my career when she sees my name in the caller ID it's a name that she says yes I'm gonna take that call and I'm gonna yeah. continue <laughs> yeah. that's my that's my greatest hope yeah that's oh, good well I hope I think uh, I think it was a great conversation and I hope our listeners uh, enjoy it. Well, hello everyone. Good morning. Welcome to this episode of Beyond Hello. And we are so excited 
to be joined by a fabulous guest this morning in Sophie Lau. Sophie, welcome to Beyond Hello. Thank you. It's great to be here. So tell us a little bit about who you are and what you do here. So I am the head of the senior school and I've been at Shadyside for six years and I started as the Dean of Faculty and Assistant Head of the Senior School and then became the Head of the Senior School four years ago. So, um, and I am finishing up my time here as I'm heading off to be the Head of School at Lincoln School in Providence, Rhode Island. Uh, and full disclosure here, um, Sophie is our boss and Chad and I work together <laughs> very closely with Sophie. So while we are going to carry on this conversation as would be any other interview, um, this is one that is particularly fun for us because we have had the pleasure of spending a lot of time with Sophie in her time here at Shadyside. So tell us a little bit about that journey to Shadyside. How did you get here? Sure, so I started teaching right out of college. Um, and I worked as an intern and then a history teacher. I went back to grad school um, and then taught at a couple of other schools. So I've been at a lot of different schools and I really sort of started being more of a leader. Um, I was dean of students for a year and then was a history department chair. And I think for me, it just, um, the I, I kept looking for new challenges. So when I was looking for things shady side the opportunity here came came up and it seemed like a really great place for our family to move and to be and it has proved to be a really good choice and good decision to to come here a lot of people i think would maybe guess or assume what a principal or school head does tell us a little bit about the work like what is the role what i mean there's obviously no typical day um, but like, what are the big buckets of things that you think about in that role? Yeah, that's a good question. And, and it feels like there's an awful lot of buckets. And I, I, maybe I'll start by saying what sort of surprised me more about the role is that it's, I spend a lot more time with adults than with kids, which is hard. And that's probably the hardest part of it because obviously I see kids and I'm with kids, but a, probably the adult piece takes up a huge amount of my 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 time as it, and that's appropriate for it to do that but um so i try to so I, you know i'm responsible for all of the the operations of the senior school and that goes from um our curriculum to uh professional development to athletics i mean it's just a wide range of things and and of course she said has a residential program so i'm involved with that as well of course chad chad leads that uh so i don't have to do a ton but but that's been part of part of what i what i think about you know, and I think it, particularly in the current circumstances, it's, I, I, there's a lot of sort of addressing things as they come up. And that was something that if I could change about the job, that's what I would do is, is try to make it more um, predictable, not because that would make it easier, but that would make it, make it so that you can be more proactive. Mm -hmm. And so what, think back to maybe like when you started teaching, what, what drew you to teaching and what has kind of drawn you on this leadership track? Yeah, so I, I'll um, talk about what drew me to teaching in the first place. I had some really great teachers and uh, I have like really clear memories of high school, some, some snapshots of high school. And I had good teachers before that as well, but one of them was this teacher, my biology teacher in ninth grade. So she was this woman named Mrs. Fogarty and she was, I'd known her actually my whole life, 
but she's a pretty small person and we were in our dissection unit in biology. And I know that's not the appropriate name, but I don't know what the name of the unit was, but we were dissecting things. So it was time to dissect the cow's heart. So Mrs. Fogarty, who's like this small person, takes the cow heart and puts her arm like through one of the arteries, I guess, and is wearing the heart on her arm like a bracelet. And I have really remember sitting in the back of that classroom just thinking, God, Mrs. Fogarty loves her job. Like that's all, you know, like she likes it so much. She is wearing a cow's heart <laughs> as a bracelet. <laughs> so when I was in college and I was, you know, athlete, so I, some of my uh, friends on my team who were older and were looking for jobs and they were, it was, you know, late eighties, early nineties, and they were going to work in fancy investment banks. And I, it just had no appeal to me. So I thought about what it was that, who I knew that loved their job. And, and really Mrs. Fogarty and some of my other teachers came to mind. So that's, I, I did the teacher prep program when I was at Princeton and then really wanted to coach. And so that's kind of why I went the independent school route. I was certified to teach in public school, but um, uh, you know, I went that route and I had um, a really great department chair when I started. And I think that was, you know, he had a real impact on me. And I think that's was a job I really aspired to, to being a department chair. And I've had some, again, just great mentors, I think, along the way who encouraged me to try to pursue different leadership things. And that's how I became a dean of students, actually. The head of the school where I was at that time was like, do you want to be a dean of students? And I was like, I don't, I don't think I'd be very good at that. And he was like, well, you won't know till you try. So I did try it. I'm not sure I was that good at it. But um, then I became, but I, I really enjoyed being a department chair. And, um, and I just, I think I was sort of ready to to take my, what, what I th thought is that what I was contributing to the department to a bigger level and that's, um, or a, a, like a broader level, I guess is the better way to put that. And so that's why I, I pursued the um, head of upper school position. And obviously uh, you're in your final days of work at Shadyside. What have you, you talked a little bit about what drew you here. What have you really loved about being a part of the Shadyside community? What, what have been some of the highlights about being at Shadyside in these years for you? Yeah. You know, I think, and I, and I said this to students at my last assembly, like I really was struck by, by the kids when I got here. And, and I, again, I've taught a lot of different great schools and, and had a lot of amazing students, but I was pretty amazed by the way that they asked questions. And I think that's really a tribute to the way that they're trained by their teachers here. Um, but I've enjoyed that a lot just in, in the work that I've done while I'm here, uh, while I've been here. The, you know, another, I had the opportunity to oversee some really big building projects, which, I mean, that's not something I ever thought would be part of what I would do um, in my career, I guess, but I, that was be, kind of being in the right place at the right time. So, and I was able, particularly with the Glimpshire Tech and Design Hub, really play a, a, what I felt like was a pretty significant role in that. And it was just, I learned a ton. I really learned a lot and, and I'm really grateful for that. And I've had just great colleagues and I would count you two, of course, among those. But, you know, I think that that's, I think that is one of the benefits of the, the role that I have is that you do get to really learn from your colleagues. And, and you do that, of course, when you're teaching and you're in a department, but it's sometimes hard to get out of your, just your department. But it, in, in the role that I have now, I get to interact with lots of different people from different departments, from different backgrounds, who've been at different places. Um, so I, I appreciate what I've learned. Great. Now that you're moving on from Shadyside, you are going home in, in many ways. And, and literally the school that you'll be leading is the school that you attended. But as you think back to your life as a student there, what, what, what were you like as a student? Yeah. 
<laughs> yeah, I, so I'm going to go back a little farther, actually, because um, there's, so when I was in elementary school, you know, I was, I, I skipped a grade. And so, and I'm kind of convinced it was because I was just too tall for my grade. Um, <laughs> but, I, you know, that's never been confirmed. But I, that really like shaped me, I think, as a student, um, because I felt like I, it sort of was labeled a nerd, I think. And then, so when I got to a new school, so I was in a public school system, so you kind of were with the same people. And so coming to a, getting to a new school in high school was really great for me. And to be at an independent school where you were really encouraged to be, you know, pursue your academic interests. Um, I was, I've always been a rule follower. I know that comes as, sh as a shock to the two of you, but um, I did all my homework always. I mean, I always did all my homework even in college for the most part, um, which is, is, you know, probably not <laughs> a little bit unusual, but I, I mean, I love school. Like, I think that's the, and I loved being a student. I, you know, I know there were some classes or teachers here and there that maybe I didn't, but I don't remember those, you know, I just, I loved, I loved being there. I enjoyed my classmates. Um, and I had teachers who pushed me to, to do well. Um, so I feel grateful really for that. I was an athlete also, and that was something, that's the other kind of funny thing is that, you know, I, I did not, I'm, I'm really tall for people who are listening to this. And so you would think like, oh, you must've always played basketball. Well, my mom didn't, I never played basketball until eighth grade at the Y in a co-ed team. And then my mom wouldn't let me play basketball in ninth grade because she wanted me to try out for the play so that I would be like, mul <laughs> like multiple interests because I, I played sports in the fall and spring. And I didn't even get a part in the play because I have no acting <laughs> talent. So it just is sort of funny. So, um, but I, but athletes were big, athletics were a big part of my, my high school career and then my college career as well. And that really, I think, shaped like who I am today for sure. Right. As you know, we we talk about at Shady Side. We talk about how you know the development of of kids here, right? It's not it's not linear. It's it's messy, um, and in some ways, we try and set this set our curriculum up so that kids can fail and and not you know not fail disastrously, but 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 fail and and learn from that and and use those kinds of experiences as as growing as opportunities to grow. As you think about your maybe your your career or even your career as a student can, are there moments where you really felt as if you had failed yourself or or just setbacks that that at the at the time were really were really tough but that you now as you look back you think oh wow that was actually really important that that happened yeah for sure i mean i think as a student um you know i did say i did all my homework but i, I didn't do all my homework when i took economics in college as a freshman and that was really eye-opening. I mean, you know, I, like you, I didn't do well. And so that, um, that was, I was sort of embarrassed for myself and, you know, and, and so, but that's a good, that was a good academic learning experience. I mean, I was in a new environment and, you know, it was like, wake up, you know, you got to do the work. So I did better second term, just to be clear. Um, but <laughs> of course, uh, of course. And, and, and of course my Emmy is wants me an econ major, which is funny, but, um, and then I think professionally, yeah, and, and I, you know, I, I listened to what Paul Azak said, and, and sort of similarly, when I was looking for jobs after I got this, I taught, was an intern at Groton, and that was a great school and a great job, but it was very clearly, you know, a one-year job, and interviewing for other positions, and people were like, well, you need, you know, we would love to hire you, but you need more experience, and I was like, but I, I can't get experience unless you hire me, so, and I did ultimately got a job at Tabor, and that was great for me, but um 
But it, that's humbling, right? I mean, you think that you, everybody's going to want to hire you, and, and then you look around, and you realize, wow, there's a lot of really qualified people out there. And and that's happened, you know, that's not, that wasn't the only time that's happened. So I think, you know, every time you put yourself out there for a job, you learn something about yourself. So mm -hmm. I am glad I've done that. Um, and I'm really glad that I've gotten the jobs that I've had, for sure. Yeah. Well, you mentioned Mrs. Fogarty, and that's an incredible story of wearing a cow's heart as a bracelet. Uh, it's not one that certainly would be, that was a new, new one to me. But are there other people that stand out as you think back over, over your career, like that professional mentors that, that have made a difference in, in, your, in your life? Yeah, for sure. I mean, I think of my first department chair at Groton, um, man named Doc Tyler is what the kids called him. And you know, he, when I was hired, and I have this memory of over the summer, I was uh, my parent living at my parents' house, I had graduated from college, um, talking to him on the phone, and he was said, you know, I'm going to mail you the book for U.S. history, and, and, you know, you'll get here in September, and then, and then you'll start teaching. And I was like, what? What? Like, what, what else are you mailing me? And so, and I got more guidance than that eventually, of course, but he did a really good job of sort of letting me do my thing. Um, but also I knew that, well, I definitely knew if I messed up, he would know, but I, but I also knew that if I needed help, I could ask him. So I like, I really try to use him as a model, um, as a leader to sort of let people do what they're, what I've hired them to do, you know, or, um, do what they're good at. And because I think that, that the way that he did that gave me a huge amount of confidence because I think if he had just spelled out, you know, this is what you're going to do day one and day two, I wouldn't have learned to do it myself and I also wouldn't have had confidence in myself. So I, I don't think I really appreciated that as much until I was, I was a department chair and, and hired a lot of young teachers. And really, I, I don't think I could ever have done as well as he did, but really try to think about that a lot, how to give people space um, to, to do their thing and also let them know that I was there to help them, you know, give them the, figure out that balance between guidance and, and freedom. So I would put him, you know, very high on the list of, of, as mentors. Um, yeah. Some other people that I've worked with as people who are heads of upper school or heads of school have had just a huge impact. And I, and I, I don't want to list them all because there's, I, I, I'm sure I would leave someone out, but, um, but definitely I've been lucky to work for people. I, I think one of the things that I have realized is that you don't always recognize who your strongest mentors are at in the moment you know sometimes right. it's it's five years later when you realize oh my gosh you know i learned so much from that person and and i do try to then contact when i realize that i do try to get in touch with that person and let them know but mm -hmm. um but i've been i've been lucky i think in, in my career in that way yeah it's interesting you talk about the balance of finding you know how do you where's that balance between letting somebody kind of go to to do what they do and then but also making sure that they know that they can turn for help because i think Schools like Shady Side, you know, they're filled with with folks who don't aren't necessarily great about asking for help. Yeah, <laughs> um, you know, because there's all kinds of things that we associate, you know, weakness or what what have you with, you know, if, if we were asking for help, something must be wrong, and so to normalize that, I think is 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 key. So it, I'm glad that you said that. I think it's it's really important. This one could go anywhere because I feel like your job, as you said, like there's so many different buckets and things that you're involved with as a head of school. But <laughs> is there something that you're doing now? And this doesn't have to be professionally, too. It could be personally. But is there something that you're doing now that you didn't think you'd be doing just a few years ago? I mean, there's a lot, I guess. <laughs> um, I I would say professionally. I mean, I, 
I sort of am going to my dream job, you know, so that's really exciting for me. And that's, um, you know, I mean, to be able to go back to a school that had such a big impact on me and to be able to lead that school is just, you know, who would think? It's just exciting. It's really exciting. Um, It's also really intimidating, you know, because I do feel like I benefited so much from my experience there. um, And my kids were both in their in their early childhood center there and they we benefited as a family from the school so yeah um yeah that's i mean that's just really exciting you know personally i you know I, who would have thought i'd have to learn to walk again when i'm 49 you know i mean i, I that's been a huge um this this year has been really challenging in lots of ways so uh there's i i, I would never have predicted anything that's happened in the last six months in, and also trying to le- learn how to lead a school when you're actually not in person has been, in a, I mean, there's just so many challenges. So right. I, I could never have predicted the last six months. Yeah, you've certainly packed a lot into the last six months. There is yeah. no, no doubt about that. Yeah. So looking forward, there's a lot to uh, be excited about and you've laid some of those things out and there's a lot of, things to wrestle with in our world right now, in schools right now, in education. Uh, you, you're moving, you're leading. What are one of the one or two things that are sort of at the top of your, of your wrestling with? And then um, can you tell us a little bit about what is giving you hope to propel those things forward? Yeah, I mean, this, I think the last two weeks have been really challenging for us in independent schools, it's been challenging for our nation, it's challenging for the world in the aftermath of the murder of George Floyd and the and murders of you know, Breonna Taylor. I mean, I could, I could list, list them out, but I think that really, we, we are all well-intentioned people around equity and inclusion, but we, but, but we have failed in, the, in a lot of ways. And I, again, I would, I would say that as, a, as, as any school, um, but in, and obviously as a nation too, but I think a lot about how to do better, you know, and, and that's, I, it, you think of like, what keeps you up at night? It's like, what, how are we in this place right now? And it's really challenging. And I don't, I don't, I wish I had an answer to say wh- what it is. I don't know what it is. Um, but I feel like we, we have to do better. Um, and, and it's hard to go into a new school um, and not, and to really learn that environment again. You know, I, obviously I was a student there. I lived in Providence for a long time, but I, I think a lot about how to, to get to know a culture in the circumstances that we are living in right now. And particularly if we have to do it in a, in, in, from a distance, that's really hard. Um, what makes me really hopeful, and this is, you know, it is painful that, that we are hearing that, that these are the circumstances which we have to hear some kids feeling empowered to speak up. You know, I wish that, I wish that the, we were not in these circumstances that, but it's also amazing, I think, the, the way that some kids have been able to find their voices in the last two weeks um, and felt um, empowered to speak out. So that, that does make me hopeful because I think in the end, like they are the ones who are gonna hold us accountable for, what, for the change that needs to happen. Um, and I, and it, it, you know, this sounds cliche and I think it, it but it does feel different um, than maybe, you know, in the, in the aftermath of other tragedies. Of, uh, and so, yeah, so I'm hopeful. And, you know, even, even um, just the dialogue in our own house, you know, I think about how we've, that's changed a little bit and, and just some of the things that my own kids have said, 
has made me happy that they are thinking in the ways that they're thinking, you know, and I think if they're doing that, then they're, hopefully their peers are as well. So, um, I mean, happy is probably not the right word there, but, but hopeful, I guess, mm -hmm. that they are, um, that they're thinking about how they can engage in this work even more than they have, so. Yeah, I think like parenting and having kids in your household holds up a mirror and a lens yeah. um, that is sort of like kind of keeps you honest and keeps you hopeful and uh, keeps you worrying a lot of yeah. the time too. Yeah. But no matter what age they are, that that yeah. that mirror back is, is it's always there, and especially now, right? Your kids have been always there, always at home. What is one future goal you have for yourself? I guess in, in a broad sense, my future goal is to be, to be a really strong school leader, you know, and I think that to, to inspire, albeit a girl's school, you know, to inspire young women to use their voices, to speak up, um, to take action. And I think also for myself to sort of be brave in that because it's that, you know, it's hard to navigate when, when kids are asking or asking you to do things and, and making demands that that are going to require hard choices. So I hope that I will be brave enough to make the decisions that I need to make. Great. Now we get to our, uh, our lightning round. So these are fun kind of quick fire questions. Um, and the first one is what would be your go-to kind of get psyched song? So, you know, if you were, I don't know, maybe back in the day when you were getting ready for a race, I don't know right. if you listened to something or, um, but what would that song be? Yeah, um, well, I'm not gonna list all the songs we listened to in the, in the late, early 90s, cause that would be embarrassing. Um, <laughs> I would say like the, and I, I my current, I would say uh, probably Girl on Fire by Alicia Keys. You know, if I had to really think of something that was gonna get in this particular moment, you know, yeah. um, but yeah. No, good, good you song. sing with it, Sophie? I've never heard you sing. You don't ever want to hear me sing. <laughs> I have no, I have literally no musical talent whatsoever. Like, are there moments when you turn up the volume and actually sing or does that not happen? Oh yeah. Okay. But I would never do that around other people that I wasn't related to. Yeah. <laughs> I'm a terrible singer. Uh, in fact, okay. when I was in college, I had a couple of roommates who were really good singers. And I went home at, at, on a break and I was like, gosh, I, you know, I think I should take voice lessons. And my dad was like, that would be such a waste of money. <laughs> uh, that's funny. What's your favorite food or the best thing you've eaten? So I have this really strange food memory about a, a day. I was at, we were at the beach at my cousin's house down in, in Quantico, Rhode Island, which is I think the favorite spot for my whole family. And it was a late afternoon and my cousin's husband is Greek and they, his family owns, or he's Greek American, but his, his, fa his family in Greece owns olive, olive trees. And so they had, they, he had just, his mom had just come back with fresh olive oil. So we happened to have this like basket of heirloom tomatoes that was sort of sitting there and some bread that was kind of old. So we grilled the bread, rubbed some garlic on it. The olive oil was, the tomatoes were tossing the olive oil, put that on. And it was the best thing I've ever eaten. And we have, and that was probably 10 or, I don't know, maybe even 15 years ago. And we've tried to recreate it. Never <laughs> has it tasted the same. And yeah. I think it was partly just, it was the 
you the know, moment, the beach yeah. and the yeah. sun and the salt, whatever. But it was so good. Are there, are there just a, out of curiosity, is there a spot like a food spot in Pittsburgh that you're going to, that you're going to miss or when you come, if you come back, like, is there a place that you're like, Oh, we have to go here. Is there, do you have that kind of spot in Pittsburgh? I don't know. Um, I really like Altavia, I guess the new mm -hmm. restaurant down the street yeah. here, but I'm not, yeah, I don't, I'm not a huge foodie, like food yeah. person. I like food, but I don't, I'm not, a. am not, that's not a huge yeah. thing for me. Okay. Well, what about books? So is there something that you've read recently and really enjoyed? Yeah. I mean, I, one of the things that's been surprising to me is that I haven't read as much as I thought I would during this time, you know, and I, th I think that's just like a bandwidth issue. It's hard. Yeah. There's been so much, but I, I'm right now reading uh, The Nickel Boys by Colson Whitehead, which is his new book. And mm. um, I can't That's say- a, I, it's historic. Is that historical fiction? It's historical fiction. Yeah. So okay. and his, his, I also enjoy probably not the right adjective or right. verb. I guess it's a verb um, right. because it's, it's pretty brutal. It's a pretty yeah. brutal book, yeah. um, but it's really, it feels so timely um, and he's a beautiful writer. So yeah, he I, really is a beautiful writer. I'm glad I'm reading it right now. The what's the basic premise of, I mean, what it's a, what's the event it's about this young man, young, uh, African-American, well, he's a boy, he's in high school. Yeah. He's arrested, um, sort of falsely. And then he's sent to a reform school in Florida, right. set in Florida. In Florida. Right. Um, okay. and it's, it's based on a, on a, on a real reform school. So I'm, I'm not, I'm in the middle of it, so I'm not done, but you know, and it's a brutal, it's a brutal place and it's, you know, it's um, segregated and, and yep. just, he's, he's abused there. So, but it's, again, I just think he, he's a beautiful writer. So it's, it, it, it draw the story draws you in. Yeah. Yeah. What's one thing you've changed your mind about? I would say uh, I'm going to go back a few years uh, when I was teaching history sort of full-time, I think I've changed my mind about content, you know, what you have to teach. Mm. I taught AP US history for years and I love teaching it. And I, you know, I think my, I got great feedback from kids and, you know, it was, it was a wonderful experience for me, but I don't really think you need to teach that way now. Um, and I think part of that's the changing world that we live in, but, you know, I, I think um, that I've really come to if you do that skills content balance, you know, the, the skills piece has really risen, I think, in importance in my eyes. And at the same time, obviously, I think even to understand what's happening today, you know, you have to understand the historical piece, but you don't really need to understand the Sherman Silver Purchase Act of 1890. You know, so like, I, I think sort of realize you can let go of some of these, some of these things. And in part because they, you know, kids can just Google that. They don't. So, yeah. Right. Right, they more almost need to be able to be critical consumers of the, the stuff that's yeah. in our, that, that they're uh, digesting or that's coming in front of them. Okay, what's your superpower or your secret weapon? Yeah, I don't have any superpowers. I really wish that I did. Um, <laughs> like I wish, I wish that you were like, oh, but you have Paul Azak's laugh, you know what I mean? I don't have that, yeah. but um, I think if I had one, I would be, I'd be a time traveler because mm -hmm. I, you know, at, at my heart, I'm a in my heart, I'm a history. Yeah. So I think that's that fits. That fits. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Well, we're on Zoom, so we can see each other. And if you're listening, then you can't see the dramatic eye roll that I just had when I threw my head back <laughs> to the answer that Sophie has no superpowers. Uh, because if you know her or you've worked with her, you know that she has many, 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 um, too many to even begin to talk about. But uh, oh, thank time you. traveling is 
cool. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I don't want to fly. And I sometimes think it'd be nice to be invisible, but then I feel like, what if you went into a room and people were saying nasty things about you? They, that would be so sad. So I don't know. Maybe time traveling isn't a superpower, but it'd be kind of neat. Yeah. <laughs> well, I know that Chad and I will feel your impact in your legacy for a long time. And I think, you know, you mentioned before, like sometimes it's hard to wrap your head around the impact um, that other people have had on you until they're not there. And I've had that experience as well, where I find myself thinking like, what would this person do in this situation? And just sort of their mantras and their actions have stuck with me in ways I could have never, never seen. Um, when you think about the work that you've, you've done at Shadyside, things that you're proud of, people you've mentored, all those things that I'm sure you've been reflecting on in these, in these final weeks, and you think about your legacy, right? Everybody comes and they have an impact and then they move on and there are pieces of that person who stay. What, what do you hope for your legacy at Shadyside or what's something that you're proud of that you hope will continue on? And, and this is you know, maybe a little off our, our regular script, but you are in the unique position of having been in a, in a, you know, a substantial leadership role and seen the school through some some really impactful times and um, you've had an impact on a lot of things. So when you think about your legacy at Shadyside, what do, you, what, what do you hope for? What do you hope will continue? Wow, that's a hard one. I think part of it, and I think one of the things I'm proud of is I feel like I've tried to build a really positive culture among the adults, you know, and, and some of that is just being honest with, with folks and, and um, being, giving feedback that's, that's direct and that's sometimes it's really hard to do that but i think that trying to be transparent about that is, is really important um so i would hope that you know we've had to make some we've as you said been through some pretty hard times but i think i've always tried to be speak from the heart and, and be clear about where i'm coming from and i i don't always agree with people and, and certainly people don't always agree with me um, but I hope that we that it can be a school where there can be respectful disagreements um, and and moving forward. And that's I think that's what helps you navigate navigate difficult times. I would say also, you know, I think um, school should be fun. You know, like these, people should like to work, go, like to go to work. You know, and I think we've in, in a lot of ways learned that this spring how much we miss being around each other. And I think the kids have really missed that too. And that's, you know. I think school, like kids should look forward to going to school and adults should look forward to going to work. Um, and, and that's, I would hope that that would, that would continue because that's how I felt when I've been there and that doesn't mean you don't have hard days and, but it is, it is a community I think of, of people who love what they do. And so I hope that continues. Yeah. Well, I'm certainly dreaming of getting back in that building. It's, I, I've really built up the moment when I walk <laughs> back in. Uh, I think it's going to come soon. The final question of all of our of all of our conversations is uh, about actionable challenge. Something, what is something that you would challenge us to do better in this school community going forward? Yeah, and I mean, I think this is an enlarged part response to the current moment that we live in, but I think it is to just be proactive around you know, anti-racist work. I mean, I think that we all have good intentions, but it's, it's just, you know, it's hard, you have to stay on it, you know, and I think that 
what I would challenge people to do is to hold each other accountable. You know, I am a, a white person of privilege and I, you know, I, I, I acknowledge that and I need, I need to be held accountable. I think we need to hold each other accountable. And so um, that's only going to happen if we make it happen because we've been in these situations before, right? And then we just find ourselves reacting and saying, we're going to do better, but it, but now's the time, I think. And, and I think that's, um, so I would challenge I would challenge all of us to hold each other accountable for, for the really important work around equity and inclusion that has to be done. Yeah, well said. Well, thank you. Um, I think if I was gonna name one of those superpowers, it might be that uh, you walk the walk and talk the talk and that I have seen you over all this time, um, not just saying, here's what I'm gonna do, doing it. I don't know anyone in our school who's been present for more events and kind of just being there and being the rock and being the model that you expect of everyone that you're that you're leading. So all this is to say, I know we are going to really miss you. We are so glad that you agreed to do this with us today. Thanks, Sophie, for going well beyond hello with us this morning. <laughs> Well, thank you. This is great. Thanks, Sophie. It was fun. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Beyond Hello. There's no greater way for us to understand one another and our worlds than to connect through our stories and experiences. Be sure to check out the highlights and details from each conversation in the episode notes. You can also drop us a line at beyondhellopodcast at gmail.com to share your thoughts and ideas with us. We'd love to hear from you. A special thanks to all who have helped us with this project, including, but not limited to, James Knox for his technical production expertise, Chase Maybald, Shadyside Class of 2018, and Mason Tomlin, Shadyside Class of 2020 for music production, Nancy Wang, Shadyside Class of 2021 for our artwork, and the countless hosts of various podcasts that have inspired us to step up and create one of our own. I'm Lauren Lieberman. And I'm Chad Green. And we thank you sincerely for going with us beyond hello.